my ultimate thesis is that all the systems that are breaking down are broken are breaking down because they're not based upon a spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. They're based on adversarialism, competition, contest, one-upsmanship, backstabbing, every man for himself, survival of the fittest, uh, aggression, don't tread on me, rampant individualism. All of these aspects are the worst aspects of humanity, and we've built our systems on them. And we can try and pass a bill here or legislation here or policy change here or elect this politician here. Guess what? They're not getting better because the systems themselves are broken at the core. So we have to really re-examine these unsustainable systems and understand that they're unraveling for a very good and important reason. Hello, friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Welcome to One and All. On this show, we introduce you to incredible damn givers. We share their stories, their work, and their wisdom, and we help you live absurdly intentional and ethical lives. Thank you for showing up this week. I'm incredibly glad you're here. Now, you already know my guest this week. He was on the show six years ago. You heard that right, six years ago, episode 10 of the podcast. But that's probably not how you first met him, let's be honest. You likely first met my guest when he was Dwight Schrute, working as the assistant to the regional manager at Dunder Mifflin and when he was owner of Schrute Farms. That's right, friends. It is so incredibly great to have Rain Wilson back on the show. Ever since I met Rain six years ago, when we recorded our first conversation together, Rain has been an incredible encourager and helper regarding all things Let's Give a Damn. He has gone above and beyond on so many occasions to give me advice, to tell me when things aren't working or won't work, and to remind me when things are difficult that this is important work that I'm doing and that we're doing and that I should keep on going. I'm incredibly grateful for his friendship, And I'm so pumped you get to hear more about his new book, about his TV show, and about so much more in this conversation. Last month, Rain released his latest book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And last week, Rain's newest TV project, The Geography of Bliss, released on Peacock. Both are incredible. I read a lot, and I don't say this lightly. If you haven't purchased and read Soul Boom yet, please correct your grave error soon. This is a book for everyone, and it's a must-read. And I'm working my way through the five episodes of his new TV show, and so far, it's brilliant. During the show, Rain visits Iceland, Bulgaria, Ghana, Thailand, and Los Angeles, searching for why some societies are incredibly happy and why some are not. I know you might be saying, Nick, I do not need another streaming service. I hear you. And I want to remind you that Peacock is the only place where you can still stream the Office reruns, and it's only five bucks a month. And Peacock has a ton of great content. This is not a Peacock ad. This is an ad for getting you to watch Rain Wilson in the Geography of Bliss right now. So I hope You've already paused this episode to go order your copy of Soul Boom, and I hope you watch The Geography of Bliss very soon. Rain and I met for this conversation in a green room at one of the Peacock offices here in New York City to record this conversation. I really hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Before we get into this amazing conversation, a quick reminder, as always, that you can email me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, tell me how much you love or hate me, anything goes. I just love hearing from you. And now, let's get right into my conversation with incredible human and friend of the show, Rain Wilson. Let's go. Well, Rain, thank you so much for joining me once again on the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Hey, I'm back for round two. Let's do this. Six years apart. Wow, it's been six years. That's crazy. I think it was March or April of 2017 
Right. And now we're in May of 2023. How about that? That's crazy. Wow. I, I want to begin by, I say this often behind your back, but I really do, I want to begin by thanking you for agreeing. I don't even know what you knew, if you knew what you were agreeing to, but for agreeing to be on the show so long ago, so early on in the show. Because you agreeing, you know, you... Golries asked you, mm-hmm. the lovely Golries, and you you agreed to do it, not knowing who I was, what this thing was about, and you coming on the show so early, again, whether you know it or not, sort of, in a lot of people's eyes, validated the concept. Mm. Oh, great. Because nobody knew who the fuck Nick LaPara was, mm-hmm. this new person on the scene, yeah, let's give a damn is a cool idea, but what is it and where is it going and how is it going to, you know, impact the world? Yeah. And then a, a well-known, you know, name uh, like yours. A giant appeared, super celebrity. Super one celebrity. of the largest celebrities yes. in the world, on the planet. One of the greatest talents of this or any other generation agreed to do your lowly, humble, terrible podcast. It's, it's so true. And uh, the rest is history. The rest truly is history. So thank you so yeah. much for doing it last well, time. I, thank you for doing it this time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I love your mission and I agree with it. I'm in sync with it. And anything I can do to help, anything I can do to help to pe- raise people's awareness about uh, things that they can do to make a difference in the world is, uh, is I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Well, thank you. And one more thank you before we actually dive in. Thank you for taking time out of this <laughs> This media day, yeah, uh, your which we're going to get into here in a minute. Your TV show, yeah, the Geography of Bliss, comes out in a couple days. By the time this show airs next week, it'll have been out for half a week or so. Okay, and uh, you took time during this day back to back interviews to fit me in. So we, as the Let's Give a Damn community, are very grateful because people, even though I've had. So many incredible. We're at episode two. This is this will be two fifty three. Oh my goodness! Um, you know we've had all kinds of amazing people on, very well known names yeah. and figures. Your conversation from six years ago still impacts people deeply. The numbers still are ticking as people find it and you know love it. And so, oh, great to do this six years later. About uh, you know you're in a, you're in a totally different place in life. The last yeah. time we talked, Soul Pancake was still a thing. Yep. Um, you had you may or may not have conceptualized or had ideas about this new book that we're going to talk about, Soul Boom, six years ago. is a long time ago, but you're in a totally different place in life as well. Um, so give us the summary for those that have been following your life the last six years, ever since you know the first your first appearance on the show. What's the what's the synopsis? What's the short version of what's been happening in your life the past six years? Besides a motherfucking pandemic that has <laughs> kept us. Yeah. Wow. Um, great question. Uh, and that is causing me to think uh, a lot. So the office ended 10 years ago, exactly. And the 10 years since the office ended have just been wonderful. I mean, I love the office too. Don't get me wrong. But I am looking back on the work that I've done as an actor, just just the acting stuff, and I'm really thrilled with it. A lot of really cool independent films, some cool big budget projects, some other TV shows. Nothing really caught on. There's not really things that uh, big audiences have watched, but just for me as an artist, as an actor, of you know, getting paid to transform into roles and bring words to life on the screen and on stage uh, I got to do a lot of really cool stuff. I did a play at the Geffen, Tom Payne, this one one person show by Will Eno. I did a play, uh, a new play at the Steppenwolf uh, Theater, and I'm hoping to do more and more theater. And I did a bunch of independent films, so I, I feel really gratified about that because, you know, in a weird way, putting the office aside, that's what I wanted. It's always what I wanted to do. I just wanted to play cool, different roles to expand myself as an artist tell really cool stories, be a part of a storytelling experience, um, get paid for it, pay the bills from doing it. Sure. And um, that's what I've been able to do. So that's on that front. On the other front, yeah, we had Soul Pancake, um, which went for great gangbusters for 10 or 12 years, producing a lot of great video content, uh, making a big impact. 
Uh, we uh, ended up being acquired by Participant Media. They uh, folded us into kind of what they do in their the films, the amazing Oscar-winning films that they produce. That was a uh, uh, that was a good time and an interesting uh, experience as well. But Soul Pancake has kind of just morphed into Participant Media, so it doesn't really exist as a standalone company right now. And uh, we were sad to see that happen, but also it needed to happen, and it it was it was time. So I'm at peace with that. I wrote a book called The Bassoon King, which was kind of my life story about seven years ago. It must have been right around the time sure, that yep. we were having our interview, and um, and then over COVID, uh, I wrote this book Soul Boom, and at the same time we were gearing up for production on. Uh, the Geography of Bliss. So it's kind of a new chapter for me where I'm doing some acting, but I'm also talking much more explicitly about spiritual topics and about uh, journeys, spiritual journeys, journeys uh, in positive psychology, seeking to find happiness, contentment, bliss, what have you. And this is this new chapter. This is like my Oprah chapter, essentially, and I'll say one other thing, which was uh, my father died about six months into COVID um, from heart disease. And that was greatly impactful as well and kind of has colored and shaped a lot of the choices that I've made in the last couple of years. You dedicate the book to your father, Robert. And I'm so excited to jump into the book here in a minute. Um, what is... I've lost... Uh, no immediate family members, thank God. There's been some close calls with suicide and other things in the past few years. But I've lost, I lost my, uh, my brother-in-law a year and a half ago to suicide and my best friend three years ago to suicide and three other friends to suicide in the last five, six years. So I've experienced some loss, things that I wasn't looking for, that I wasn't expecting to happen. And I, how I, keep them alive is by remembering certain things about them, unique things about them that nobody else had that they brought to my life. When you think about your father, who I followed on social media mm. and loved seeing his paintings and mm. his reading his words, very beautiful artwork. Mm -hmm. What do you miss? Is there one thing that you miss the most that you'd give anything to do again with your dad? So my dad and I had a very uh, unusual and, and close relationship in that my mom left me and him when I was about a year and a half old, and I stayed with my father. So my primary kind of parental bond was always with my dad. Sure. That being said, my primary parental bond was with a man who was not very good at intimacy. Mm. Nor should he have been. He didn't learn that. He came from a deeply traumatic childhood. And um, so it was frustrating because uh, as so many fathers and sons, like it's the son looking for connection, for approval, for intimacy, for vulnerability. And my dad, although being a big-hearted man, a deeply spiritual man, he was not very good at reciprocating intimacy. Um so there was this ongoing roller coaster between me and him. But we were very bonded, very close. We could speak kind of, dare I say, intellectually about like a lot of spiritual and metaphysical topics, which was great. And that's why I dedicate the book to him, really. I say thank you for teaching me about the soul because he always, uh, as a member of the Baha'i faith, he always highlighted our human journey uh, and the journey of our souls. And that was something that was incredibly important to him. So um, I miss him a lot. I guess the main thing that I miss with him is just, and I still do it, it's three years later, and I'm like, oh, I, oh look at that. That's funny. I should tell my dad. Mm. Oh, I should call my dad. Oh, I really want to talk to him about that. And just those weekly phone calls, sometimes twice a week, uh, sharing things that I've read, things that he's read and thought about. So I, I, I deeply miss that. But there's something, you know, archetypal and kind of Jungian about just the missing father, you know, the father that is, that is gone. And, and anyone who's lost a parent 
directly can can talk about that that experience. That's beautiful, and I am. We've only seen each other once since then, which was a few weeks ago. So I'm I'm very sorry for your loss, and I hope that you continue to find ways to keep him alive and and Thanks. and and miss him. I mean, I was just my my, my partner and I had a big. We had a big fight last night that came out of her grief and my lack of ability in the moment to understand her grief. Yesterday, her parents moved into a new home for the first time in 15 years. And it was in that last home that um, was really the last time that we saw her brother who died a year and a half ago. And they've lived in the house for 15 years. We actually lived with them for six months when we were figuring out where to go next a few years ago. And so that house meant a lot to us. And she made the statement about, um, she made the statement that uh, um, she was so sad that she didn't get to say goodbye to that house because it was the last place that she got to see her brother who's now gone. Point being, we had this big fight and for and, and I was the asshole in it. And we it took us an hour, hour and a half to talk through things. And at the end we're hugging and like we we made up. Uh, and made out a little bit, but we made up. And um, yeah, it, it reminded me of the importance of these people that are gone. Like, I don't have to, under, like, that's her thing. She was deeply sad that she, she'll never get to go back to that house, sit in the kitchen where she sat with Michael, have coffee, because somebody else can live there. We can go up there, drive up, knock on the door and say, hey, can we, can we just say hi to the house? We used to live here or whatever, but never like that, right? And so it's important for us to figure out the people that we've lost to, to figure out how mm. to keep their memory alive. Before we get to the book and the show, one more thing that I want to point out from what you said a few minutes ago. I think a lot about Soul Pancake every once in a while because I watched a lot of Soul Pancake throughout mm. the years. Um, and then I, when I was thinking about what you said about, you know, how it, it you know, it was incredibly impactful and then it got folded into participant and it kind of had to go away. Like, do you ever, that was a big project and, and and Soul Pancake was synonymous with Rain Wilson and vice versa, right? You were the more, the most well-known figure on the team. And I think about Let's Give a Damn and how, I don't even know what, I don't even, I don't I don't know yet what Let's Give a Damn fully is. We're constantly working on projects and killing things and making other things come alive and trying to figure out how to best use this platform. But I can't imagine, I'm so deeply connected. Like anytime the word damn shows up anywhere, anywhere, a sign, a banner, a this, a that, people like, I'm the damn guy now, the give a damn guy. And people text me and send me messages all the time. It's such a part of who I am that like, I literally cannot imagine not being a part of this little thing. Like it's so tied to me. Did you ever feel that way about Soul Pancake that it was so like, I mean, it was such a beautiful thing and it was so tied to so many like positive, great and impactful things. Like, did did you feel connected to Soul Pancake that way? And and how did you feel when it, I'm using air quotes here, listener, died and mm. was no longer what it was <clears throat> in its heyday, which was like tons of views on YouTube and really impactful videos, positive content, so on and so forth. How did you let that die? Because I am i don't think that Let's Give a Damn will die anytime soon. Things are going well and we're making stuff, but like it's so part of my identity for better or for worse now that, um, yeah, I don't even know what else I would do. Wow. That a, that's a very not clear yeah, question. No, but. That's, a, it's, it's, that's, that's clear. So- one of the things I tried to do with Soul Pancake from the very beginning is to, to make sure, like, this is not Rain Wilson's YouTube channel. This is not uh, the Rain Wilson project. Um, it's fronted by me. It's co-founded by me. Uh, but I didn't... I, I was front and center on it for a lot of the projects in the first couple of years, and then I really backed away. Whereas the last several years of its existence, I was hardly doing anything on Soul Pancake or for Soul Pancake. And I really wanted to create a platform on the digital in the dig, digital media world that would uplift people, connect hearts, and describe the, the quintessential human experience. And at the same time, we were running a business. So we were, you know, we chugged along and made a nice little profit, not enough to really pay anyone kind of really what they were worth. Sure. So when we had buyers circling us uh, and they wanted to 
pay money that we could then give bonuses to all of the workers that had worked for us for years and years, that uh, we could give everyone health care. You know, there was a lot of of that consideration that, oh, we've been chugging along for nine or 10 years, but now we get to uh, move to this next level and we get to have an influx of cash to try new big projects. That was a big part of it. And and we always knew, like, listen, this may not work out. Participant Media is a big company. They have their number one agenda, which is to make great Oscar-winning films, which they do year in and year out. Right, right. And, you know, they don't necessarily understand digital media and social media. Um, they're trying to, so maybe we can help them toward that end. And, you know, we made a lot of great content with them. And at the end of the day, they kind of decided, well— we're just going to stick with our films and we'll use whatever digital social media that we have to just support our more of our film and TV projects. And that's fine. We knew that that was... So there was a mourning process, you know, but at the same time, it, it it's also... A mourning process is also kind of the life process. It reminds me of having a pet, totally. right? yeah. And I always, I always say that when you get like a dog... It's it's a 10 to 15 year time bomb that's going to go off and cause tremendous grief. It's going to hurt so badly. And the kids need to understand that. Parents don't talk to children about death and be like, hey, look at this cute little puppy. Hey, in 10 or 15 years, this puppy's going to be dead and we're going to be burying it in the ground. And its body is going to feed the worms and feed the trees. And that's part of the life cycle. And I think a, a media company has the same kind of life cycle. I'm not saying this applies to let's give a damn, but our platform ran its course. There was a business model that we founded it under, which was branded content on YouTube. And that business model dehydrated. Sure. And yeah. there's a lot of companies, a lot bigger and more established than us, like Upworthy, for instance, and um, and many others that just fizzled out and evaporated um, as that business model dried up. So it, we couldn't have sustained anyway. Yeah. It was, uh, there was a lot of grief between me and Shabnam and Golris, the founders, but um, it was time to let it go. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, what's, I'm so glad you tied it to death because I talk, I have several talks that I give on death in the, you know, the me memento mori, I've got it tattooed on me. You know, the, remember you will die or, or amor fati, the love of fate. This is this idea that like mm. everything dies and it's a part of life and we should talk about death all the time. I'm giving a talk on death on Saturday. I'm giving a talk on death in Eastern Europe next month. Like I love talking about death, but I've never connected it to, yeah, maybe let's give a damn lives for 30 more years, but it might run its course. And if, and when it dies, there'll be grieving and it's normal. And I'll have more ideas. I'll have more things to create, right? Like you're doing now. Mm, mm. Soul Pancake wasn't by any stretch of the imagination, your peak, your main, pro no, you've gone on to create other things. Yeah. Some of which we're going to talk about today. So thank you. Cause I hadn't really connected so much of my philosophy about life to let's give a damn. It, it might die. The pet thing is so, so, um, such well, an apt it's you know. a life cycle thing companies have a life cycle too so that's part of grief and part of the the miracle and journey of life as well beautiful miracle okay uh today is may 16 in two days may 18 you have a show coming out mm -hmm. uh which i'm very thrilled about i can't wait to see it um i am already a peacock subscriber so Good. i'll be able to get it right away and i'll be able to watch it on thursday um, but tell me about the show, Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss. How did it come about? Obviously, a very important topic, especially in these times, especially in this, you know, this month, we are talking about mental health awareness. Every May, we do that, put a, put an emphasis on it. How did the show come about? Why you? Why did they choose you? Uh, and what did you learn through the process? And then also, you know, I want to talk a bit for a minute or two about the different, you know, you went to five different countries, mm -hmm. ours included to shoot in five different places. Mm. Uh, all of them probably view uh, happiness and bliss differently. Um, ours is definitely not, you know, the United States of America is not in the top whatever of happiest countries in the world. Mm -hmm. We have lots of trouble being happy um, because we keep making bad choices for some reason. Uh, but yeah, the show, how did it come about? Why you? And what can we look forward to? So uh, there's a book called The Geography of Bliss, uh, one grump's search for happiness around the globe. 
uh, by Eric Weiner, who's a terrific writer, great guy. And uh, this young producer named Casey, I swear he's like 27 years old, he just loved the book. He would always read it and reread it. And he was like, gosh, this would be just a great travel show. So he went to his friend, another young producer, like 30-year-old producer named Evan. And out of the blue, I just got this email through my manager's office, uh, you know, 99% of which I, I disregard. And they said, hey, we got the rights to this amazing book. You should check it out. We think it would be a great travel doc series, and we think you're the perfect person to host it. They had seen a talk that I had done at USC uh, that was part of their convocation graduation uh, where I talked about depression and anxiety and mental health and in terms of spirituality and my own spiritual journey. And they thought that, you know, that combined with my natural goofiness and comedy uh, that I would be able to be, you know, bring the silliness that's required, but also the profundity that's required. So it was a long process, but we developed the materials together. We put together a sizzle reel and pitch deck and um, fleshed out the show, brought on some other producers like Radical Media. And then we pitched it during COVID. And, you know, our pitch was like, this is the perfect post-COVID show. So let's get this going soon so that we can have it in the can. COVID ends, we can release it and we can, people can learn about happiness, joy, well-being from other cultures around the world. And, uh, uh, and, it, and it worked out. Peacock bought it. Um, Peacock is the home of The Office, uh, which is great synergy. It's a great tie-in. There's going to be a lot of, there's a lot more Rain Wilson fans, let's say, on Peacock than there are on like Paramount yes. streaming network. So it made sense to kind of tie it together. And um, uh, and and it was it was great, you know. It's it's a dream come true. I mean, what better job could any human being possibly have on this planet than to get paid handsomely to travel the world and talk to people about happiness and fulfillment? So, we went to Iceland, one of the happiest countries in the world. We went to Ghana, West Africa, one of the most uh, optimistic countries in the world. We went to Bulgaria, one of the unhappiest countries in the world, and Thailand, and then back to the United States, to Los Angeles, to see if we could apply some of these life lessons. And um, I'm really proud of it. I think it's much needed on two levels. One is for my own personal journey around anxiety and depression. You know, I got a lot out of it, and it was really enjoyable for me to roll up my sleeves and dig in. Uh, and it was also really, um, it's also a crucial time. And I think America needs the message of this show. It's uplifting. It's inspiring. It's all about human connection in a time when we are grossly disconnected. What can you tell me? I, I, I've read, you know, a bunch about Iceland being one of the happiest places. And I'm very interested to watch the episode Ghana, most optimistic places. But Bulgaria being one of the unhappiest places. Uh, fascinating. What, uh, just, what, what is one of the nuggets that you learned spending a week or 10 days shooting, speaking with, interacting with the people that lived in one of the unhappiest places? Like what makes... I'm not trying to steal from the episode. Everybody go watch still. But what what makes it one of the unhappier places on earth? Well, uh, there's a lot to say about uh, Bulgaria and Iceland. We shot those back to back. Um, first of all, you got to understand that Bulgaria spent hundreds, if not thousands of years being subjugated by the Turks and the Ottomans. And the word slave actually comes from Slav. So they were, uh, they were ens oh, wow. enslaved people, you know, subjugated, persecuted for hundreds of years. Their culture was squashed. Then they finally get their freedom. And then guess what? It's World War I. And then it's World War II. And the Germans invade. And then we, they finish the war. And then guess what? They're swallowed up by the Soviet bloc and they're behind the Iron Curtain for 50 years. So... Um, Really tough times in Bulgaria. People would rat on each other uh, to authorities. There was at one point in time, it was like a third of Bulgarians were on some kind of payroll to like rat on their neighbors. 
So you couldn't trust your neighbors. You couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust the government. The government was completely corrupt from top to bottom. Uh, even now, it's one of the most corrupt governments on earth. It's all, there's no concept of like public service. It's all just like, pretend it's public service, but what's in it for me? And how can I benefit from this? And so trust is very limited. And you happiness is expressed in Bulgaria by the people you do trust, which is usually your close family. And family bonds are really, really tight in Bulgaria. And then a small group of close friends. So people are able to express themselves, their joy, their love, their connection in very, very small groups. They've been dinked over by the church, um, other big, you know, uh, you know, religious groups as well. Um, there's just, it's, it's all about trust. Whereas Iceland, there is a tremendous trust in the government. There is a tremendous trust in your neighbors that your fellow Icelanders have your back. If you get sick, if you're unwell, your neighbors will take care of you and your farm and your government will support you through a health crisis. Your Mm. government will educate your children that there's this, you know, this, this trampoline of, of help and support that allows Icelanders to f- have incredible personal expression. Their individuality is through the roof. They're, everyone is a poet or a performance artist or a, or a writer. Um, they're, they're farmer writers. They all really are connected to nature. Um, so another terrible thing that happened in Bulgaria is this brain drain. So as soon as the Iron Curtain fell in the late 80s, by the mid-90s, Uh, the statistics are staggering. I'm going to misquote them, but it's like a third of the country had emigrated. As Mm. soon as they could get passports, they were out of there. And they just moved to Belgium and to Ireland and to America, became taxi drivers, just fled Bulgaria. So, and and why wouldn't they? Looking for opportunity, looking for high-paying jobs. They'd been sick of being kind of squashed for so long. So then, then there was a second brain drain of people from the countries, country from the small towns of the country into the city. So there's a huge percentage of the country that lives in Sofia, the capital, which is a lovely European capital city. Um, still has some remnants of that kind of, um, you know, cinder block, Soviet block sure. kind of yeah. uh, architecture, brutalist architecture and, and whatnot. But so these little towns up in the mountains are, empty. We went to a town that used to have 2,000 people and now it has six and a half. Six people and a part-timer. Oh, and wow. the store is only open two days a week. And if you want bread, you have to order it in advance. Like when, the, when it's bread That's delivery bleak. day. It's pretty bleak out there. And it's bleak and it's beautiful. There's mountain ranges and forests like you wouldn't believe. Wildlife. It's like Switzerland, but it's just empty. It goes, it goes on and on. It's a really interesting sociological and cultural study because the other thing is, because there's been so much corruption and communism, there's no land deeds and titles to land. So hmm. I was saying like, God, these mountains are beautiful. I would love to buy, just for the hell of it, can I just go buy 10 acres, this beautiful mountain forest land or a little farmhouse up here or something like that. Like, it's got to be dirt cheap. And they're like, you can, but you can't trust the land title deeds because they're made up and you'd you'd buy it. And then some guy could come along and say, hey, I've got a letter here that said my grandpa used to own that. And so you've got to pay me $100,000 to leave you alone or whatever. So we realize the importance of the trust in government is creating- a kind of a a solidity of infrastructure that can allow you to be happy. And, you know, it's one of the things that's happening in the United States right now. Exactly, Trust in government has gone way down. It really started with the Vietnam War. It it increased during Watergate. There's Iran-Contra, scandal after scandal, um, you know, embezzling and, and, you know, people being being locked up, what happened during the Clinton years. You know, obviously during Trump, there have been... Uh, you know, Gulf War, unjust wars. Yep. And yep. so all of this stuff and young people really don't trust American government. And we've really screwed up healthcare. We're screwing up education. And we're screwing up crime and, and homelessness. And, and our happiness is going down because of it. 
So now it's tricky to govern 300 and some million people of really diverse people, yep. ultra-conservative folks and ultra-liberal folks, people of all different colors and cultures and backgrounds. It's really hard, but um, we're getting more and more fractured all the time. I'm glad you made that connection because that's where I was going to go was like, oh, Bulgaria is obviously a totally different you know, animal than the U.S., it sounds a lot like what's happening here. Not, you know, I'm here you can get a land deed and it's yours, right? But point being, like, there's a massive distrust and it's showing in how we relate to each other and how we don't relate to each other. And not that we're going to end up there. But one of my favorite things when I'm, one of my favorite things to do is to find, I literally do this online sometimes, I'll go find the lists of the happiest countries on the earth. Sure. And I will go, figure out why. And it usually ends up being, a lot of it is around, maybe not trust around government, but government is going to help them and take care of them, right? If you look at the happiest countries, there's some sort of socialized health care. They are getting, they're getting unlimited paid time off. You know, if, if, if a mother has a baby, they get a year off paid and the father gets six months paid, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, they're getting help. They know that if something goes wrong, they're going to get help from their neighbors, from the government, from this and that. And here, we don't have that. There's 500,000 people a year that go bankrupt because of medical bills. There are people that are sitting right now within a mile of where we're sitting right now, should go to the doctor or the hospital right now, and they won't because they're scared shitless of whatever bill is on the other end of it. Yeah. Like that creates unhappiness. Like you mm -hmm. can't thrive if you're always worried about, well, am I going to be on the subway and some overzealous ex-military dude's going to choke some guy out because it made him scared? Or am I, you know, if, am I going to get sick? Am I going to get hit by, am I going to get, is, am I going to get in a scuffle with the, like, right? Like, you're just, it, it's a really difficult to thrive when you don't trust sort of what's happening. Am I, am I kid going to go to school and there's going to be a school shooting there tomorrow, right? Like, obviously there are some things we can't prevent, but so much, so many things that are preventable, we're not preventing here. And I think it's leading toward unhappiness of all kinds, you know, distrust in the government, distrust in each other. There are so many people that I don't, I would love to trust them. I would love to be in relationship with them. I would love to get along with them, but I can't, or I, I won't, I won't do it. Well, and we ha can't ignore the, the, the role that uh, social media yes. and mainstream media play in this, where uh, mainstream media profits out of outrage so the more that they can foster and foment outrage, the more clicks they get, the more views they get, the more advertising they get. So it's not in their best interest to just be reporting facts and news in a cogent, sane way. It's in their best interest to create more and more division. So, and this is how the echo chamber of social media works as well. We've, I'm sure everyone is, is well aware of this, but it's really hard to be contemptuous of someone that you're sitting sitting six feet away from. Yes. So from a distance, so much. you know, people in red state Kansas can be furious at inner city San Francisco and people in, you know, ivory tower Los Angeles can be furious at red staters in Alabama. But if we sat down together more, if we listened to each other more, um, breathed together more, uh, there could be a great deal of of bonds that were created because it's not just trust in government, but it's it's trust in community. Yes, and and bonds and connection of community that provide the true true happiness. So something that we quote on the show and something that I quoted in my book as well is the Grant study from Harvard University. It's this very famous study that followed three hundred uh, men for eighty years and just examined one thing and one thing only, what gives them a best quality of life. And they followed marriages and divorces and sickness and health and religion and not religion and work and, and, and income and all of these different factors about well-being. And if you boil the entire grant study down, the longest, most intensive study around this, there have been multiple books written about the study, it just comes down to one thing only, and that's connection. Mm. So bliss, happiness, joy, meaning comes from interhuman communication and connection and community. And uh, that's, again, what we are missing and uh, what we need to try and 
build and you know for the let's give a damn people it's uh there's a there's a section of my book where i have one of the seven pillars of a spiritual revolution and i think it's a really important one and it's don't just protest build something mm. and because we live in a culture of protest right um for instance the the unfortunate uh homeless mentally imbalanced man on the subway who had been arrested 40 times previously who was choked to death like um it's easy to protest this and it's easy and both sides are protesting it you know mm -hmm. they're saying this poor guy was defending himself and other women in the subway car when he was trying to yeah he went too far but he was he was defending people and you know they, they're protesting that right and they're protesting a woke culture that is claiming racism and the other side is saying this guy, this zealous military guy, just killed a guy, you know, and he's he's like a he's like cop, and he's racist, and and there's going to be shouting, and there's going to be angst, and there's going to be tweets, and there's going to be some marches, and the guy's either going to be found guilty or not guilty, probably not guilty because he was, you know, in self defense, and. Uh, there'll be outrage about that or there won't be outrage about that. Mm. And then it'll all go away. But what will we have done around the mental health issues? Mm. What will we have done in America's big cities to take care of this problem of the correlation between house unhoused mental health and drug addiction and this fentanyl epidemic? What will... what? will the average person have done because it's a, easy to protest. It's so easy. You can send out some tweets. You can even go to a march for an hour or two. You can write all your friends. You can fill out some petitions. Big deal, you know? The protest plays a very important role in civil life, and it should be acknowledged, and the American civil rights movement wouldn't have happened without Mm -hmm. uh, extensive protest. We see this about George Floyd and the Me Too movement. It plays a very important role. But we Americans often stop there. And guess what? 100%. Building coalition, working in community, in consultation uh, is really hard. It's really, really difficult. Uh, people often leave it because it's so challenging. But that's where the important work is to be done. So in creating and finding bliss, it's all about creating and finding and building community. I don't know if you remember, uh, during our first podcast together, sort of the opening clip that I chose for the episode was a version of what you just shared. And it's impacted my work deeply. It's, it's, a, it's something that comes up often that people, you know, out of all the episodes that have been done, that was such an important note that, yes, protest is fine and great and needed, but you've got to build something. That's exactly what you said six years ago. You're saying it again today. It's obviously a part of your belief system, and it's right. It is so easy. The reason why people don't in, in mass join these movements to systemically change these structures that have deep, deep flaws, and maybe some of them need to be knocked down completely. Maybe some of them need to be, you know, just we need to do a little remodel on the building. The reason we don't do this because it's a lot of fucking work, as you just pointed out. It's really hard work, and we've got to we've got to commit five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years. And for most social issues, for most big issues, if we're doing the job well, which is very slow, deliberate change, a lot of us aren't even going to see the fruits of our labor. Right? the 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 work's still going to be being done af long after we're gone. And that's hard. That's that's a hit on our ego. That's a hit on our, no, I want to see, I want immediate gratification. So we tweet, we say, fuck you, Daniel Penny, for choking Dan Jordan Neely out. And that gets it out a little bit, right? We get it out. We tweet about it. We argue with some people about it, right? We say, fuck you. And then somebody says, well, he was just doing this. He was just, and then we go back and forth, back and forth. We get it out, show up at a march. I'm going to his funeral this Friday. It's happening three blocks from our, our apartment. Uh, Jordan Neely's uh, funeral, like we do these things and that, and that but the, as you pointed out, that's when we stop. That's when we stop. We think we've done enough. We think we've done our job and actually we've done nothing of meaningful and lasting change, right? Uh, let's spend the last section of our conversation on your book because I think this is exactly what we're talking about. 
I think you you tell me if I'm wrong. I think what I got as I read this book and as I listened to you over the years and as I've listened to a few of your conversations that you've had over the past few weeks with other people about this book, this, this spiritual revolution that you are talking about in Soul Boom, released on April 25, it's been out for three weeks. How are you feeling, by the way? Are you feeling good, like about the book being out? Like, yeah. You, I mean, the response, it's, has it been, has it been yeah. what you expected it to be? It's it's really been better than I expected it Amazing. to be. Um, you know, I, I worked my ass off on this book. Um, uh, it was, took me three years. Uh, it was a lot of research, a lot of mulling and ruminating and pontificating. Uh, and uh, so I didn't know how people were going to like it, but people are really drawn to the essential idea here. There is something really missing in our contemporary society. And I, young people especially are much more open in investigating spiritual solutions to the world's problems rather than just looking towards politics, policy, and legislation to fix our problems uh, they see that there's some gross imbalances going on. There's a lot of older folks like uh, Gen X folks and boomers that, uh, especially in the liberal states, have just written off spirituality yep. and equate it to kind of a born-again, you know, evangelicalism and are are just done and not open to that conversation. But young people are very open. They'll try anything because this mental health epidemic, you had your litany of suicides you were talking about. This mental health epidemic is, mm. is disastrous, you know, on a personal and psychological level. And they see society unraveling and coming apart and systems working in truly unsustainable ways. So young people are really open to the possibility of spiritual tools being applied to personal and social transformation. So it's been a New York Times bestseller for two weeks and it's been, uh, there's been a lot of excitement about it and it's, it's touched some hearts. So I'm really gratified. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's all, it, it all makes sense to me that there's been that much resonance with the public because I, going back to what I said a few seconds ago, this soul boom, this boom of the soul, this spiritual revolution that you are pitching to us, I think is the missing piece as someone who, as a, as a, as a, uh, as a universalist who adheres to the Christian faith, but truly believes like you do as a Baha'i that all of these religions are actually one and the same. And the further we progress in humanity, we're realizing that. I think there's more people today that realize that than ever before. Maybe that's, I don't know if the numbers would support that, but I meet more people today that might be, you know, Catholic or evangelical or uh, Muslim or any other religious adherence especially Baha'is, because that's part of the faith. But they believe that like, yeah, I'm I'm following my lane here, but we're all, as Ram Dass said, just walking each other home, right? Like that's what I believe is happening, which that spiritual revolution, like if we all, I think that's the missing piece. What I'm getting at is we've tried everything else. We've tried outrage. We've tried keyboard warrioring. We've tried uh, uh, too much trust in government. We've tried all of these things to fix the world's problems. And I really believe, like you do, I'm not just saying that because I read the book and I'm here to praise your book. Like every single day I wake up believing the premise of your book, that if if we experienced a togetherness, a spiritual revolution, most of what we see wrong in the world, not immediately, This none of this is immediate. This is still hard fucking work, but racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and just the general disunity that we feel, um, I think we can fix a lot of it. Not completely. We're humans. We're going to mess up and we're not going to do anything perfectly. But like, do you, do you feel that way? Like as you're, obviously you do with the writing of this book, but like, yeah, I feel, I mean, you you opened the book with this Mary Oliver quote in the preface, which I just love. I've loved this quote, and I love that you opened with it. Instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Like that, the pay attention is not just pay attention out there, right? That's inward paying attention. That's all of it. It's being one with, it's, it's grounding ourselves to what's happening in the cosmic part of the universe right here, you and me hopefully the love that we're feeling for each other in our in our mutual and separate missions in life like 
I truly believe in this book so much. And I believe that, like, I want to be part of taking, like, evangelizing this book on mm-hmm. your behalf. Because I really, I mean, it's in, in my mind as well. Let's give a damn and soul boom, one and the same. Like, I am not shy in my podcast and anything that I do about my faith. I share it openly. I'm not trying to convert anybody. I have no business or desire to convert anybody. But I share the hope that I have and that the hope that I get is in a huge way because of what I believe the divine is doing with us and for us and through us all the time. So there's my little beginning rant. Uh, am, am I on to something here? Like, I mean, the, the book obviously like touches on all this. I don't... I always uh, struggle with how to talk about books during book interviews. I've interviewed mm-hmm. very famous people about their books, and I'm always like, well, I want people to, and and unknown. Actually, today, the podcast that comes out today is with uh, my friend Ben Perry, who wrote a book called Cry Baby, Why Our Tears Matter. It's a really beautiful book about tears and grieving and how Ben went a, a decade, didn't, didn't cry a tear, just was like shut down emotionally, and, th- and, then, and how crying really changed uh, their outlook on life. Um, so talk about the book for, we've only got a few minutes left. We've talked about too many other things during this conversation, but, um, yeah, what's your, what's your pitch for the book? Because we don't have much time left. We're not going to go. We, I could spend so much time going chapter to chapter. Um, but what's your pitch for the book? Why should people buy this book well, right now and use it as sort of a Bible. I think it's a guide. It really is a guide. Well, I think it's, uh, thank you for your kind words. And I will say that uh, for this particular audience, for your podcast, I think as a, as a, as a mature and wise and, and deeply curious audience. So I, I'm a little sneaky in the book. So I start out with comparing the spiritual journey to two great 70s TV shows, Kung Fu and Star Trek. Mm. Kung Fu being the personal spiritual journey. I'm not going to get into the details right now. You can read the book to find out more. Star Trek being the other aspect of the spiritual journey that people don't talk about as much, which is uh, humanity's spiritual journey toward wisdom and maturity uh, and unity. So, And then I talk about death and I talk about God, and I talk about the soul, and I talk about suffering and free will and a lot of big spiritual metaphysical concepts, and I do it in a fun, accessible way. Um, and I, like I say in the book, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of spiritual spaghetti at the wall, and, and we'll see what sticks and what doesn't. Then I have a couple of chapters where I talk about religion because I think that people, especially on the political left, are really grossly unfair to religion. And we've thrown, as I say, the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater. Like we've so culturally rejected religion that um, we have then lost so much of the beauty of what religion holds. Now I understand why we've thrown out religion. It's religion is a cause of gross injustice, judgmentalism, patriarchy, uh, war, you name it, flying airplanes into into skyscrapers. Uh, The list goes on and on. Um, Religion has become very polarized in the United States as it's become equated with, um, you know, political parties Mm -hmm. uh, and evangelicalism, the idea that an all-loving God would sentence people to burn in hell for eternity, Um, one of the most ridiculous concepts in in all of human creation, the list goes on and on. But I talk about the benefits of religion and part of what we've lost in our modern world is what religion gave us. Community, service, transcendence, song and prayer and meditation, um, uh, a sense that we're a part of a, of a bigger, longer journey and that we're in it together, mutual support. All of the signs and symptoms that psychologists point to in the mental health epidemic that we are missing were there in our religious circles. Mm. And this is of people of all faiths and all different colors and all different cultures. Um, in geography of bliss, we learned, I learned a great deal about how Buddhism creates 
incredible bonds um, in Thailand. Um, and, you know, in Thailand, it's a frequent practice when it's your birthday to not celebrate your birthday, but to go give service to someone else on your birthday. Wow. So it's, mm. you know, in the United States, especially now, it's like your birthday and everyone remember and presents and cake and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But can you imagine if culturally we shifted so that it was your birthday and you went to a homeless shelter or Incredible. an orphanage yep. or, you know, helped cleaned up a park or went to the, you know, helped abandoned, you know, dogs and cats or, or whatever it was. So this is a long-winded way of saying that this is kind of the journey of the book. But the final chapters is really, are really where that was my kind of secret agenda. And my secret agenda with the book and my agenda with the book is to say, we need spiritual, uh, we need a spiritual revolution. We need to spiritually examine um, how uh, large spiritual concepts can inform our systems and the way systems work. So it really is ultimately a sociological book. It's a book about large-scale sociological change because my ultimate thesis is that all the systems that are breaking down are broken are breaking down because they're not based upon a spiritual foundation. Mm -hmm. They're based on adversarialism, competition, contest, one-upsmanship, backstabbing, every man for himself, survival of the fittest, uh, aggression, don't tread on me, rampant individualism. All of these aspects are the worst aspects of humanity, and we've built our systems on them. And we can try and pass a bill here or legislation here or policy change here or elect this politician here. Guess what? They're not getting better because the systems themselves are broken at the core. So we have to really re-examine these unsustainable systems and understand that they're unraveling for a very good and important reason. And we're not having that conversation. So it's the main purpose of the book is to inspire that conversation. That's really beautiful. I'll be honest that one of my favorite parts, like I'm glad this is now a, a, a real thing because I have something, I get shit all the time from so many of my friends who have deconstructed their faith to the point where they have left the, not just the faith, but like they've left, at least at this point in their lives, any possibility of their being a spiritual, religious, cosmic sort of thing going on, right? They've chosen agnosticism or atheism or whatever. And I support them in their journey. But I'm always like trying to convince them like, like I get it. I get why you've left. This is a, this is an incredibly toxic system and structure. The, 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 the church I've been a part of has inflicted so, in, so much pain on so many people, mainly you know, women and children and queer people all throughout history. Men have made it out fairly unscathed throughout the, you know, throughout the the grand scheme of history. And I'm, but I'm trying to convince them that like, forget all of that because the more of you that leave, the more, the more of you level-headed people that are seekers and you have a huge heart and you do want to serve and you do want to love people, you're giving more of the pie to the people that are doing, that are using religion for their own purposes, for their own selfish, horrible purposes. And so what I'm getting at is this book does an incredible job at not forcing, you're not forcing anything down anyone's throat. You are simply presenting what I think is a really great, hey, if we can achieve this people, collective humans, if we can achieve this outlook, we're all gonna take different approaches at it, but if we can achieve this outlook on spirituality and religion, if we can take the good, if we can build on the good, that all those things you just mentioned, I have so many friends that have left their faith. And the biggest thing they struggle with is I have no friends anymore. I have no community. I don't even know how to build community because all their lives, they built great, deep, lasting, amazing friendships mm -hmm. in that community and then they left it and left all that behind and they have no idea. They don't have bowling. They don't go to bowling club. They don't, they don't golf with their butt. They don't know how to make community and they're lonely and they're depressed and they're anxious now because church provided a really beautiful place for them to be in community. 
your your book does such an incredible job. I, I'm really excited that it's a thing because I've already sold a bunch of them to a bunch of my friends. Oh, thank you. I've t- I've t- I've texted a hundred friends. Important part. Yes, yeah. really. That is the important. No, but I'm like <laughs> I'm like, please. This is the book you've been looking for. I know what you're going through. I'm not just texting all my friends. I'm texting the friends that I think need this book so mm-hmm. deeply because I want them to come back, not to my version of spirituality or religion, not to my worldview. I couldn't I couldn't give a shit. Like, don't believe like me. Don't believe my version of the divine. Don't believe, you know, what, don't, you, you don't have to care or it doesn't matter that I go to mass and I worship in that way. I, you know, go through life in that way. I don't want you to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I just want you to understand that if we can have this, to use your language, this soul boom, this together soul boom, we can achieve some pretty amazing things in the world. Oh, thanks. Thanks for saying so. That's, that's, that's exciting. It, it really resonated with you. I knew it would. You were one of the first people I've contacted about it and um, really excited that, that you dug it and that you see where this can go. I don't, have a lot of solutions in the book. I have some ideas, you know, like you right. talked about, you know, building community, which is so important. And I'm not advocating in the book for anyone to become a member of any specific religion. I'm just saying that we've jettisoned religion yep. so whole cloth that we've lost a lot of good things. And we need to be having a conversation about that because we're not. And I would say, here's a good idea for community. Soul, soul boom conversation nights, you know, uh, or soul pancake has a book as well that has chew on life speak questions. questions yeah. And then combine that with some kind of service and uh, you could have something really good. I think you have to combine, you know, uh, you can combine singing or meditation uh, with a park cleanup uh, and with deep conversations. People are hungry, hungry, hungry for deep, meaningful, real conversation. Um, this is one thing that's missing from the public discourse and uh, and public community. I think that's a pretty good pitch for you. Just I think you just started a new religion. I think you just started well, the soul I, boom. I have I have the soul boom religion. I say I have a chapter called Hey Kids, Let's Build the Perfect Religion, which is uh takes the 10 essentials of every religious faith and then adds a bunch more ideas to what a perfect religion would look like. And I don't do that. I do it tongue in cheek. You know, right. I'm not trying to start a religion. I'm, I do it to have a conversation uh, about, hey, there's so much good in religions and religious practice. Like you can, you can be investigating those. It's okay. So many people are traumatized. Like you talk about your friends. So- we're also traumatized, but, you know, we have to also, we're also incredibly resilient. Yes. And we can be traumatized, and guess what? We can grieve and mourn and rage, and we can heal, and mm. we can move through the trauma. We don't have to live as victims of our trauma. And one of the people, you're, you're describing friends of yours living as victims of their religious trauma. So... You can have, and I know that this is part of your story too, you know, you can have a tremendous trauma coming from your parents, from your church, um, and you can be outraged and mad at the whole institution, but you know, that needs to be processed too. You, you don't have to stay stuck in that for decades. Uh, that can be processed and worked through, and then you can go and find, I, you can find the love, you know, on, on the other side. And there are some aspects of religion um, that seek transcendence, that seek to bring people together in a, in a transcendent way and on a journey to something greater than our own ego satisfaction um, that, are, that are really beautiful. Soul Boom is already out. Listeners, go get a copy. By the time this airs, Geography of Bliss will have been out for less than a week. Go watch it on Peacock. There's like a $2 a month version of Peacock. So you have no excuse sure. to not sign up for Peacock. Plus we the have, office. Hello. Win-win. We, we have Peacock only because twice, two or three times a week, we want to rewatch an episode of The Office. <laughs> okay. So now we have another reason. So it's like we only, if you look at yeah. the top bar, it's only Office episodes. Now it'll be Geography of Bliss. Uh, Rain, thank you so much for joining me. I hope... Uh, it won't be six more years until we talk on the podcast again. Um, well, listen, 
you've built quite a platform with Let's Give a Damn. People know what it is and have enjoyed these incredible hundreds of conversations that you've had. And I, I hope that you'll figure out what the Let's Give a Damn movement looks like mm. and how it can be grown organically because there's a lot of truth and a lot of necessity to what you're doing. And that's got a necessity has to override ego, you know, at the end of the day for anyone working in this field. Like this soul boom isn't about Rain Wilson and selling books. It's I, I really wrote it because I really wanted to make a difference and make a change. And I hope that it helps people and sparks a discussion and, and sparks something, whether I'm a part of it or not. Um, and I think you've done the same thing with Let's Give a Damn. So I just wish you the very best. Thank you for your service. Thank you for these dozens and dozens and dozens of beautiful conversations, the work you do on social media, you know, heightening these conversations about, about service and faith and social justice. And uh, uh, it, it's been inspiring to just thousands of people. So you, you're doing great, Nick. Keep, keep it up, man. Keep it going. Thank you so much, my friend. This was great. Friends, thank you so much for showing up and for spending some time with Rain and me this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadamn.com. You can also visit soulboom.com to learn more about Rain's new book and to buy a copy for yourself and for some friends. And don't forget to go watch The Geography of Bliss on Peacock ASAP. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please show up next week. We have many more incredible guests coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins-Harn, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Take some risks this week, my friends. Keep giving a damn. I love you all. See you next week. Thank you.